0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the upcoming. Doctors, lawyers, entrepreneurs, it doesn't matter. We're here to talk about all the best and the brightest as they make their way to their dream careers. I'm your host, Jonathan Carr. Join me as we have a spectacular conversation with an equally spectacular person. You ready? Let's go. Hello, world, and welcome to the upcoming, the perfect place to catch the best and brightest on their way to the top. Joining me now for the upcoming's 34th episode is a dear friend of mine who is also an alum of Purchase College with her degree in arts management. She is just a woman who adores the world of media, particularly Disney, and is not, and is just done so many amazing things. You gotta hear this. She was not only president of the arts management club, but now she is taking her knowledge, her talents, off to other schools, other clubs, and teaching them about just the power of arts management. She has also founded her own little um, travel agency, known as Magical Journeys uh, by Kira. So, Magical Journeys by Kira. Just remember that, folks. Whenever you think Disney, when you think traveling, you think of this woman right here. So. I am so happy to have her. She is just an amazing person, a leader, just the most confident, dope person you'll ever meet. So people, Kira De Leon. How's it going, Kira?
1: Oh, it is going absolutely wonderful. I have been so excited for tonight. Um, This is going to be a really fun podcast. So John, I cannot thank you enough for your invite. Um, you know, persuading me to be a part of this and the upcoming, I've been following your podcast since you've started it and you've been meeting some amazing people through here. So to become a part of that community, um, it's an honor. So thank you so much.
0: Honestly, it's an honor to have you on here, Kara. because I only invite the absolute best onto the show. So Kira, if you follow my show, then, you know, the next question I'm about to ask as we all know, I always let my guests introduce themselves. So please indulge us. Who and what exactly are you?
1: So who and what exactly am I? So um my name is Kira DeLeon. I am a brand new and independent travel agent um, through Boardwalk Travel Agency. But my individual business is called Magical Journeys by Kira because I specialize in magical journeys. Um we think of magic we might think of a particular place, Disney, Disney Parks. I
0: was thinking Universal Um, Studios for a second there.
1: (laughs) Well, yeah, that makes sense. We've got the Wizarding World, um, and I love Universal to death as well. Um, Just like John, I graduated from SUNY Purchase in 2022. um, Just this past December, I got my Bachelor of Arts in Arts and Entertainment Management with a minor in Screenwriting. But arts and entertainment have always been a huge part of my life, especially the art and entertainment of Disney. I have attained a special knowledge of Disney travel destinations. Um, I'd like to note, especially at the beginning of this podcast, that I am not an agent affiliate nor employee of the Walt Disney Company, but I do have formal Disney training and I am a um, registered Disney travel agent. Um, meaning that I specialize in um, all Disney destinations. So this includes Walt Disney World, Disneyland in California, where you are, John, Adventures by Disney, uh, Alani, a Disney resort and spa in Hawaii, um, Disney Cruise Line, um, not the international parks yet, but maybe we will get there someday. Oh, and of Mm -hmm. course, the brand new Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser
0: can't forget about that. As, <laughs> but um, yeah. No, keep going. I'm sorry.
1: Oh, no, go ahead. Um, I was just going to say kind of where I was before and kind of how it brought me to Magical Journeys by Kira. But um, please continue. I'm ready for any questions. I'm very excited um, for this discussion. I just know it's going to be so much fun and so engaging. So
0: yes, I just got to know the first thing. Where did your love for Disney really come from?
1: Where did my love for Disney really come from? So, my parents um, are both Disney adults. They always have been. Um, Their honeymoon was in Disney, and um, they actually did not take me to a Disney park until I was, I think, five years old. So, I was past the point of um, being a baby, being in a stroller. So, I really got to experience it, you know right away with everything it had to offer, such as, you know, the height requirements for all the rides and um, being able to remember um, the experience now as an adult. My first time going to Disney, um, I always was a huge fan of the films. I grew up on Playhouse Disney, now Disney Junior, um, House of Mouse, all those awesome programs. But it actually wasn't until I first watched a performance of the stage show Fantasmic that the true love hit me, and I knew that I wanted to go into live entertainment, especially for Disney someday.
0: Yeah. Honestly, when you said um, Playhouse Disney, that brought so much nostalgia to me, too. Because so much I also nostalgia.
1: Grew... Yeah.
0: You, you remember that one show, um, Bear in the Big Blue House?
1: That was my favorite, and I still have all my bear-stuffed animals.
0: Ah, uh, Yeah. Yeah, I remember. I remember watching those episodes, Pip and Pop
1: uh, and Tree um, All those characters, I loved that, and I love literally all of Jim Henson's projects. So the fact that you know a Jim Henson project was one of like my first um, loves, it it just really feels that it's all co- it's all come full circle.
0: So um, poetic. <laughs>
1: from just all of those Disney properties, even before they all fell under the same umbrella, I feel like I've had a connection to um, all those groups for a really long time. Um, you know, the superheroes of Marvel and Star Wars, um, even though, you know, all those acquisitions didn't really come into play until 2009 into 2012. And then more recently, um, Fox, which became 20th Century Studios. I feel that I've always had a connection to all those things. And it just it just feels right, so it's a huge part of my everyday life.
0: Uh, that is awesome. That is awesome. So Disney, it's uh, so Disney's just been the love of Disney has basically been hereditary. Like it's just been passed down from like your parents, just on to you. Now you've just really just want to represent all things like Disney right there. So. <laughs> But I noticed Disney isn't the only thing that uh, runs in the family because you are a part of your family company, um, entertainment company. I believe it was called um, Sound Spectrum Entertainment. Yes. And and so, yeah, tell us a little bit about that right there, too, because I know it played a part.
1: So Sound Spectrum Entertainment. I mean, it's very interesting to talk about, especially now in 2023, because the DJ industry is so saturated. Um, everyone can be a DJ. You have access to Spotify and computer programs and um, so many fabulous resources. If you want to become an entertainer um, just with music and you could do so much with it, you see how people can edit music so easily with the technology that you know we have at our fingertips. Um, but my grandfather, John Ross, founded Sound Spectrum in 1978 um, just after easing out of being a live musician in a band. Um, he discovered records and other ways you can utilize them besides just playing them when just when they started the turntables. Um, we, you know, My whole family is from the northeast um, on that side and He was very familiar with New York City and the Bronx, and he was going to a lot of events in those areas where he saw the rapid evolution of records and disc jockeys, DJs. Uh, He actually went through the protests of um, live musicians and live entertainers because... We were starting to turn over into the industry of DJs where they could play any type of song with um, discs and records. Um, People were really nervous about DJs coming and replacing live instrumentalists. Um, He went through that as an early DJ. Um, So it's just really interesting to come from that type of background. and. It was something that has always been a part of my life and actually having some DJ blood and going out and being able to say that I was the DJ at someone's sweet 16 or something like that. It's really interesting.
0: So how has this experience both through your family's business and your endeavors and especially Disney made you look at the um, entertainment industry at the end of the day?
1: Definitely knowing that it is something that is always changing. I mean, we talk about that all the time constant evolution, stay up to date on this and the trends and social media. But um, when I say always changing, not just that, um, but also regionally, and remembering that people have very different entertainment preferences based on their upbringing, um, again, region, culture, demographics. But also just what they're into because so many different types of entertainment are accessible now. It's not just what our parents listened to growing up. You know, we're already starting to see a difference in our generation and kids now where, you know, we were in the car with our parents and they were playing music from the 80s and 90s, um, depending you know how old they were. And we knew those songs growing up, but kids are getting and they're being allowed to Um, their own devices so much younger that maybe they're not being exposed to their parents' music so much and getting that background, but immediately getting something that's brand new out there by, you know, content creators that maybe haven't had to take as much time to establish themselves in the industry because there's just so many more resources now and everything is just so much more accessible. It's a scary thing, but it's also a very interesting thing. And we just really have to learn to work with it because I think it could be very positive too for
0: artists. It could be, it definitely could be, but you're right that it's always changing. It's so chaotic really, because you can, you can never like sit down. You can always gotta stay on your toes. You always gotta stay on top of like what's happening right now. And, you know, while it is true that Kids are definitely finding music and finding artists all on their own. Like, just from, it seems like from the moment we're born, we have a smart, a smartphone in our hands. But at the same time, people are still growing an appreciation for the old school, whether it's uh, buying vinyls and record players or listening to old 80s or, or 90s classics. People still have, you gotta know, people still have an appreciation for the old. And that's, for all the reasons like nostalgia even though they might not have been there at that time to hear it or just like general appreciation for the past it's really it's just as you said it's always changing but do you think this could be like this desire to go back in the past could be like a like a like let me put it like this do you think it could be like something that would perhaps be a little detrimental to the evolution of entertainment, or could it be more beneficial?
1: Um, I guess I could see it going both ways. What comes to my mind first thing um, when you ask that is the idea that music, trends, fashion, anything, arts, entertainment, creativity, it's, always reused ideas since the beginning of time we've been stealing um borrowing reusing um ideas and we're seeing trends um you know come back from the past it's always been a thing I don't remember who taught me about this but have you ever heard about um, like the 20-year pattern I don't think that's actually what it's called
0: maybe I think it might heard maybe though
1: where anything from 20 years ago is what's popular. So something will be popular and then 10 years it won't be. Let another 10 years go by and then it will be again because people will associate it or identify it as vintage or, um, you know, vintage throwback, um, the good old days, which is why I think a lot of trends from the early 2000s are now becoming popular again, such as the low-rise jeans and um, girl groups, and anything that was a trend. Now, I know a lot of people are talking about older Nintendo products again, being like, "Oh, look! I found my old DS. I found my Game Boy in the basement, and now everyone wants one." Um,
0: I kind of stuff like I, that. I kind of <laughs> I I bought a Nintendo DS last year.
1: You bought a Nintendo DS last year. See, um, a good example of this is. In the nineteen seventies, apparently the nineteen fifties were a big thing. Um Grease? Greece? The movie came out. Yes, in the 70s. John Travolta. Broadway musical. Broadway musical first came out in the seventies. Uh, but there I... was oh and in the nineties, the seventies were popular. If you've seen um, you know, some of those um, if you've seen some of those crime films and you know, it keeps going back the twenty year thing, we were Not too long ago, we were interested in brown lipstick and high-rise jeans of the 90s. And now we're easing our way back into the early 2000s. Like there's a 20-year pattern. I don't know if I 100% believe that because I think some trends, they, they go in and out and people have different preferences and stuff. But it seems that the mainstream market, a lot of it tends to go back 20 years when you're saying, oh, that's the cute new vintage, quote unquote trend
0: oh man 20 year mark keep that in mind folks because that right there that's something, really something to think about because i you're right i had not thought about that until now uh, The 70s 50s were popular and the 90s the 70s were popular and now and now look it's like two, the 10s the 90s, now, 90s now look at us now we're, we're living the 2000s like now you're right. Now I'm listening to yeah, like you see strokes.
1: Olivia Rodrigo. What do you think? You think of High early two thousands, like that energy, the the glitter and the the butterflies and High
0: School Musical.
1: High School Musical is making its way back. Yeah, with the um the series.
0: Uh, yep. Yeah, just not gonna think about that one too much. So yeah. It's just it's just all a, it's all a very bizarre like uh, what's the word I'm looking for? just nonlinear uh, pattern that the, the entertainment industry just seems to take. and people do change their thoughts and opinions on what's cool, what's trendy, it's so often it's, it's exhausting. but you know it's just one of the ways that uh, companies like Disney tend to thrive in the chaos because they recognize their audience here. How would you like sort of, because I know you as someone who's just been a huge follower of Disney from like day one, how would you sort of analyze like how Disney has been able to continue to appeal to their audience, whether it be through live action shows or their animated films through Pixar, just give us your thoughts on it.
1: I think they just have left no stone unturned. Just the size of the company, what it's become with all of the acquisitions, there is something for everybody. Whether, you know, you are into classic Disney animation, um, you have the the Fab Five, or now I think they expanded to the Iridescent Eight, now including um, Chip and Dale, the chipmunks. Um, and then you have the princesses, Um, whether classic or contemporary, like Frozen, Moana, but you might be more into sci-fi, and now you've got Marvel, you've got Star Wars. There's just something to offer for everybody, even if it's not an original product of Disney. Disney owns so much of it now. So, and I think they've done a great job incorporating something for everyone physically in the parks as well. The parks is where like the majority of my knowledge is, so I'll probably keep referring to the parks. But think about how drastically different all the parks are from each other. Even the Magic Kingdom Disneyland-esque parks um, around the world. There's one in every um, Disney park. Even those are different from each other. Never mind, you know, over at Walt Disney World you have Magic Kingdom, Epcot, Animal Kingdom, Hollywood Studios. Um, There's something to offer for everyone entertainment-wise, food-wise, level of thrills and attraction-wise. Whatever pace, you know, you want to spend your time and enjoy yourself, you could either take that relaxing approach or you could take that fun, action-filled approach. Um, I think it's really cool that you can make it something that you enjoy, with your children, Um, teenagers could have fun with each other as a friend group, adults, couples. Um, There are just so many different ways you could go about Disney and the fact that there is, you know, um, a commonality to it all that makes it such a great community, even though, you know, sometimes it's a little you know, it, sometimes it does leave a somewhat uncomfortable or nerve-wracking feeling, being like, this is a mass corporation that owns so many subsidiaries. Um, even though sometimes that is a little alarming, knowing the community that it's building and that um, whatever your interests are, maybe that can expose you to other things to be interested in as well, so.
0: truly, And as you say, everything they bought they've just incorporated into their parks. They've made sure that everything you want anything is in their parks. So it'd be the Disneyland, Disney World, just through all it's it's honestly so incredible how it go went from one little theme park to just like a whole like empire really. Mm-hmm. So let me tell you this. I'm uh, to ask you this. When you're touring and when you're getting to see the um, theme parks for yourself because I know I, I saw you um, down in Florida just being able to go to Disney World and like Epcot and just all the just brilliance that those parks ensue. What is one thing about them that sticks out to you the most? Was it what we just talked about or something else?
1: Hmm. Well, definitely what we just talked about. I love how diverse the offerings are entertainment-wise, attraction-wise. Um, even food and beverage wise, I would say it is the integrity and the immersive theming that allows you to escape from, you know, your everyday life. Um, You know, there are so many things that they consider, whether it is, um, you know, just the skyline around you, um, creating illusions that you are only in the themed world you're in and you're not just in central Florida and that there are other places located around you. They even pay attention to the sensitive smell when you're in the area. So I really love the attention to detail and the integrity of it all. I would say that's what I admire most and that has been what's inspired me, I think, in my journey in arts and arts management to really focus on creativity and um, storytelling, effective storytelling, because I think those are essential components to any industry when you really come to think of it. And I just think that that is the top standard to take notes from.
0: There you go. There you have it, folks. But now that you brought up arts management, I want to get into, I want to get into that because you and I have, have spent our spent a good amount of our lives in the wonderful, fascinating world of SUNY Purchase, where you studied uh, arts management. So, you know, let me ask you this: What about arts management particularly drives you?
1: what about arts management particularly drives me? I mean, the idea that they have made it a field of study, especially in the New York area, I am so thankful for that because I don't think I could have pursued that anywhere else. And business and art, I always always knew my whole life that those were the two things that I wanted to go into And I wanted to find a way um, to work with those two things, complementing each other. So the fact that I was able to do that, but arts management is incredibly important to me because even though art itself is, you know, so different from business because it's so sensitive, you know, it's sacred. And when you're putting art out there, we also have to have the sense of awareness of the world around us that maybe doesn't understand nor appreciate art to the extent that we do. So in arts management, for me personally, it is so incredibly important to protect the art and the artists that create it. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. I feel that there's often this um, negative perception um maybe to simplify that a bad rap how many times i mean this is so ironic because arts management is so big in the media but how often do you hear stories about or see in the movies um stories about that manager who's sleazy and embezzles the money of um, either a music artist or a band I mean, yes, of course that happens, but often, especially modern day arts managers, are gen- they genuinely have the artist in their best interest, right? And to manage and be a leader in the arts industry... You need to have an arts background yourself. So as somebody who has lived it and, you know, I'm still very young, I'm only 22 years old. I understand. I still have a lot to learn and a lot to experience, but art and entertainment have been a part of my life since I was born. And I've had experiences that I feel I could use to effectively teach artists who are pursuing the art, strictly the arts, not arts business, not art as a hobby, pursuing the arts as a career. Um, if I could use what I've learned to effectively guide an artist to um, be them be their best selves and to get exactly what they deserve for their work, in the arts because even though art can be very enjoyable, it could even be healing, it could very well be work, especially if you're pursuing it as a career because you often have to make changes that you know might be difficult emotionally because art is so much of self-expression, but to adapt, to make it maybe marketable, you know that's really difficult. So if I can use what I know to help an artist I feel that I'm doing my job and that I'm contributing something important to the arts.
0: I like that answer. I like that answer Thank a you. Lot. I don't know
1: if that was very clear. Um, I don't know if we have time, but could I give like one example? Sure. Because I feel like I might have just spoken circles for a little bit there. I, I'm trying to think of the best way I could explain this and why I feel arts management is important, especially um, arts management by people who have experienced the arts, um, because we love our artists, we wanna protect them, and we wanna make sure that they are getting exactly what they deserve, meaning that you know they are always being compensated for their work. Um, artists often booking things on their own, if they do not have the experience and education um, that might be you know necessary or that could be helpful in making bookings, whether they're doing a project or an event I have had to tell people this in the past um, through my work with Sound Spectrum, but also independently and at purchase, two words that you want to avoid when someone offers you a gig, a role, um, whatever it may be, a commission, two words to avoid or two words that are red flags. You might want to do your research a little more if they tell you these two words when they're interested in um, you know, hiring you for your work. Number one, exposure. Number two, volunteer.
0: Exposure and volunteer, huh?
1: Exposure and volunteer. If you hear those words when something may be offered to you, definitely do your research and really think it through before you accept um, the offer.
0: all right take note of that folks exposure and volunteer hear those those words slow down for a second and make sure you know what you're doing but it wasn't just studying arts management you were president of the arts management club you oversaw events you gave like you gave presentations and uh, gave like lectures feels like you gave lectures pretty much you you taught them you educated them on arts management. You carried that even after, even after um, purchase. So, tell me about just being in that uh, leadership uh, position and just just the challenges that uh, came with it.
1: Oh my gosh! So, arts management club was something that was um, probably, honestly, because I'm from you yeah. know the COVID era of college, right? The only consistent thing I had going on for me at Purchase. So, I'm very thankful for my time. Uh, with arts management club, whether it was in person or remote. I joined my freshman year, my first semester in the fall, and I ended um, fall 2022 when I graduated. And, um, you know, even with all the challenges, um, it really was a blessing because I met some of my best friends through that club. And I just learned so much about myself through it. So I became public relations officer and vice president my sophomore year. And then starting my junior year, I was president up until my senior semester.
0: Oh my gosh. Yeah. But I understand that you've you've faced a lot of um, times where it was just so much stress. Cause I remember when you were, uh, overseeing the preparations for, uh, emo night and
1: emo night.
0: Yes. Those were, that was, uh, that was a tricky time. I understand, but, uh, how did the lows, like just the challenges, the obstacles make you really appreciate the highs in that position?
1: Uh, I feel like it is like this with any creative project that I have engaged in. It, was always when the final product was released and you saw the audience, you know, you went through stress, you started taking things personally. This isn't going this way. You made a mistake in calculating your budget and your expenses. All those tedious things that kind of just add up to the point. You're like, why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? But Especially something like Emo Night that has been a purchase tradition, um, you know, since way before I I started at Purchase. So to try to, um, you know, contribute to that legacy of what is such a popular event at the Stude at SUNY Purchase, um, it really is worth it and rewarding, even if some Emo Nights were bigger than others. I mean, I was there for the comeback of Emo Night. I was there for, um, I was there for the tiny little Zoom version of Emo Night in 2020, where um, we would have people drop in and play emo bingo. And it's like, oh my gosh, who's spending their time doing this? But just knowing that I never gave up on it and that, you know, I could say all four years of my time at Purchase, we had it. And that's something that's so important to so many people. And I feel that um, a lot of people, including myself, were educated on emo culture and um, it's genres of music and really what it means besides like what we see on the surface. Um, it's been just a really great experience with that. and I'm really looking forward to seeing what um, the eboard, whoever they may be of Arts Management Club does with emo night next year.
0: Yeah, it's truly. And it's really just something that you're able to carry just the whole, um style and personality of like emo how that's still a thing like you people think that's something that died out in like the late 90s early 2000s but no people are still you know rocking that style with the makeup and I feel like
1: it was I mean I guess in our lifetime it would have been the biggest um you know the early 2010s up till maybe 2014 2015 Um, I know I was super into the fashion that was very popular because it was what you saw at school. Um, I didn't have as much exposure to the music because that was an era of, you know, extreme pop music um, that was, you know, about partying and happiness. I don't want to say it was superficial, but That was, you know, the style that the market was really going for and pushing out. So I feel that that really overshadowed emo culture. And, you know, we saw a shift when we started focusing, you know, more on mental health and realizing that, um, you know, constantly enforcing the sense of toxic positivity um, in the media could be potentially very dangerous, Um, so seeing that emo kind of did make a comeback and I could be wrong, but I believe that emo night was founded at purchase or the first one took place in 2017 in Whitsons. Um, that was when we started seeing more of the culture and more people became invested in it and wanted to be educated on it. So the fact that, you know. The school's been consistent in that event since then is, um, a really cool thing to see. And the fact that I was able to be a part of that for, for emo nights, I'm very proud of that.
0: Mm, You should be, because that's just the tradition you've carried, um, your whole time at purchase right there. So yeah, just thinking about that is really, just really fascinating and especially really... Thought about what you were saying about like you know just that toxic positivity that can just be so judgmental for others, and how a lot of music nowadays, and especially a lot of artists, are being open about mental health and just protecting your sense of self, really, because that's so vital. And you know, I was looking at your your presentation uh, on arts management oh my gosh, I already forgot how to pronounce the name. Was it um, uh, Quinnipiac? Uh,
1: Quinnipiac.
0: Quinnipiac. There it is. Quinnipiac. And so, when you gave a lecture, you warned about um, social media, and because we both know too much of it can be a bad thing, because for one, the algorithm, and two, because most of the people you see put on this narrative, this image that might not exactly reflect them in real life. So, When looking at just the media, the public, and just how things like social media can be such a great tool, but also a detrimental one, how have you learned to like balance, let's say your public life on social media and like your private life so you can, you know, protect your sense of self and your mental health?
1: Uh, Well, let me start with I have never been so excited to be wrong about something. When I say that, I'm talking about the presentation that I gave to the Student Artists League at Quinnipiac um, about a little more than a month ago, a little more than a month ago, such a great organization. And they were so engaged in every presentation um, component that I had, every slide. It was just an amazing experience. I just felt so, Um, important. I just felt so um, listened to. And I remember getting to the slide. um, It was called LinkedIn, but also linked out. I'm (laughs) going to (laughs) cough. Sorry, these allergies. Anyway, LinkedIn, but also linked out. I really felt that, I really thought at first that this was Something that might be a new concept to them, that this is something we haven't talked about linked out. Like people haven't thought about it because I talked about it one time at an arts management club meeting and people felt that, you know, they hadn't seen it the way that I presented about it before. Where LinkedIn is a social media platform, we all know that. It is a top networking tool. Um, I had statistics on the slide about how almost 80% of new hires are done through LinkedIn. It's just, it's the thing right now, but obviously it has the elements and the power of a social media platform such as Instagram, uh, Facebook, any of those popular social platforms where we've gotten to a point where we use LinkedIn Pretty much the same way we would with social media. Just like Facebook, uh, LinkedIn was founded, I believe, in 2003 as a website. Now you could just easily access it as an app and you can get, you know, addicted to it the same way you can with social media, constantly check it and communicate with people the same exact way with like the short little messages, you're behind a screen, all the same things. Um, and, you know, Not everything you see on LinkedIn, just like any other social media page, is true. You could say whatever you want on there. Um, But the fact that the Quinnipiac students knew of this and they were just ready for such an engaging discussion about the toxicity of LinkedIn, it was just a really cool experience. Again, I've never been so excited to be wrong about something or to give old news. Because it's glad, I'm glad to know I'm not the only one.
0: Yeah. (sighs) Yeah, it just feels so weird to hear this about LinkedIn because I myself am on LinkedIn every single day. So, yeah, you're like
1: LinkedIn royalty. Like, I feel like (laughs) LinkedIn is if you were a social media page. Mm. Because you're so ambitious and you're so career driven. And at the same time, you're always supporting other people like, you know, how LinkedIn has like those little functions where you could like, like people's accomplishments and stuff like that. So it's very positive LinkedIn. You have all the little like support functions. Um, You're connecting with people. It's always positive, 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 positive. And I shared this at Quinnipiac. Um, A little based on my own experiences um, in the hiring process and, you know, being in my early 20s, not being very experienced and being such a recent um, college graduate. So no one is going to post about and this is pretty much exactly what I said at the Quinnipiac presentation. So I am kind of quoting myself a bit. No one is going to post that they posted or they applied for 15 jobs in one day. They're only going to, um, only going to post about if they got the job, right? And applying for a job is—I feel like it's a job itself. It's a lot of work these days. So much is asked of you. It um, takes
0: and it takes so many no's before you get that yes. But we both mm-hmm. understand that.
1: Yeah, yes. LinkedIn, but also linked out. LinkedIn. It's still important. Everyone's got to get on LinkedIn, of course. Um, it is such an easily accessible tool and resource, and it's a great way to connect with people
0: it's and wonder- really see
1: what's going on.
0: It's, it can be a wonderful tool when used right. You know, just, when used right. Yes, it's a wonderful tool when used to right. You can get a job because I've landed a couple of positions thanks to LinkedIn. made, made friends through LinkedIn. It's people like, don't sleep on LinkedIn. It can be great. Gary and I are speaking from experience. (laughs) LinkedIn Um, is
1: great. And it's a way you can connect with recruiters too. Let me throw that out there.
0: Perfect way to connect with recruiters. Cause a lot of, remember folks, a lot of people from HR and a lot of people from just HR, just from different positions, you know, higher ups, they can, you can connect with them and if you make a good impression then they can, you know, give you give you a call, talk to you, or even look at your resume. It's it's an opportunity right there. But yeah, now I just want to move on to your endeavors. The final part of this interview, Kira. So magical journeys by Kira. What was magical the moment journeys. where you, where was the moment where what was the moment like where you decided that This is the path you wanted to take.
1: So I actually remember there was a point in my childhood. I was interested in uh, being a travel agent. Uh, Remember back in the days of actually seeing travel agent offices? Like it was like you would, it was people's full-time jobs and, you know, the education required for it. Just like, just like a real estate agent. Um, And I remember going to those offices with my parents before, like, family vacations and stuff like that. And I was just so impressed, like, oh, my gosh, you could talk about vacations all day. That sounds like a really cool job. And I remember it was either my mom or my dad telling me this is a job that's going to phase out. Because, you know, we're seeing the age of the Internet. Everything's becoming so accessible people will become their own travel agents. And that has definitely happened. It's been a very long time since um, we utilized a travel agent in my family or for like my own trips, especially now that um, I'm older. I like to do a lot of my own research before I go on trips. Now that it's not just family vacations, you know, I've been going to, um, you know, I've been taking business trips too. like um, in February. I went to the Mobile Entertainment Expo in Las Vegas. I did a lot of my own research um, before booking anything or for or paying for anything. It was actually very recently, the idea of a travel agent kind of came back to me uh, for this most recent trip I went on uh, to Disney with my parents and my dad's friends, and one of them utilized an amazing travel agent that literally worked magic um, for him and other members of the friend group. Um, and hearing about that uh, was really interesting. And she was strictly an online travel agent and mm-hmm. a lot of uh, the resources uh, required to pursue uh, travel agencies are online, no, like anything else in the industry. And I just decided one morning, I think I want to research this just for the heck of it. And next thing I knew, I was getting all of like the certifications and I I just caught a bug and took every course I could. And I'm still taking courses and I'm still, you know, applying for licenses. I just got my embark ID for um, CLIA, which is the Cruise Lines International Association. I just fell in love with it. And it's been a nonstop thing for me. And it's been really nice to have that and to have something to look forward to every day and really build on and at my own pace um, with everything that's been going on. Because I personally have had a very difficult time not being at purchase this semester while my friends are having fun and, um, you know, struggling to get a career that I really want. But it's also helped me recognize that everyone is in such different places between the ages of let's say 18 through 25, that's one thing I really admire about you and what you're doing with the upcoming podcast, because you talk to young people, but still from all different walks of life and all different places, but with so much respect and awareness that people are working hard, but in very different ways and with very different circumstances. So it's really given me a lot of peace of mind and um, really connecting with myself too. Like you'll see um, my logo that I designed is it's a purple suitcase with a butterfly on it. And you know that purple and butterflies are my thing. I'm always wearing things that are purple. Um, I have butterfly tattoos and they've just always been a huge part of me, those two things. Um, but not only um, you know, do those things visually, you know, match my aesthetic, but now there's symbolism to them. And I feel that they, uh, they go into my whole logo and business aesthetic so well, because I have really found myself this, um, this year in 2023, I've already taken, I think about four trips already, and it's only April. I got a purple suitcase for Christmas from my grandmother and I, not only take it on my longer trips and my flights, but I'll also take it to like overnight things. Like if I'll go hang out with a friend at purchase, because I'm only, I am only an hour and a half away, even though, you know, I'm dealing with being away, I'll go, you know, visit my friend Alex or something like that. And I will take the purple suitcase with me. It just feels like it has become a part of me. So marketing with the purple suitcase and it's kind of contributed to my own self-discovery and then the butterfly, I always associated it as a sign of, you know, transformation and growing. But now because the butterfly has wings, you know, it represents the flying and, you know, taking that journey. So that's where the whole magical journeys thing came from, that whole vibe and aesthetic. And now, you know, the symbolism and what kind of looks like maybe a more basic logo. So the purple suitcase which I feel has become such a part of me. I might have to get a purple suitcase tattoo. Um, but now the butterfly not only means the growing and transforming, but now the actual traveling component of the butterfly once it's no longer a caterpillar. So
0: beautiful, honestly. <laughs> Thank you. Beautiful. So my last question: how much for um, how much for do you want to take Magical Journeys by Kira for your plans?
1: Ooh. I don't really know. I mean, of course, they started with uh, Disney destinations, and that's what I would love my focus to be on. But things that I have grown to love around the country, I would love to see about arranging things for that. You know, I fell in love with Vegas in November. I'm not November. Why did I say that? February. Um, I fell in love with Vegas in February and all of its offerings and how many connections I've made business-wise. You know, it's not just entertainment. Uh, There is a lot of really cool business opportunities in Vegas, but um, New York City, it's right there. And being able to have access to New York City from where I am, I'm not too far. uh, Informing people about that and giving them similar experiences to what I've had that I feel have contributed so much to my life and have been amazing things. Or just to guide someone in the right direction and maybe just help them, you know, Steer them away from things that, you know, I have done wrong in my travels in the past so they can have a more enjoyable experience and just create magical journeys for people, um, whether it's to have fun or, you know, a huge thing that we see in travel, especially, you know, in marketing for it these days on social media is the self-discovery component of it. It's not just, you know, the fun and the vacation. A lot of people get lost to find themselves. Mm. So
0: I love that, honestly.
1: You know, I wanna promote pretty much um the many reasons one may travel.
0: Yes. Yeah, get lost to find yourself. I'm 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 quoting that. That's that that that's that's
1: let me tell you, it was maybe Two days after a heartbreak, I um, I found myself booking a trip and I regret absolutely nothing. I learned so much about myself on that trip. Sometimes it's just to clear your mind. It's not even about, you know, the destination. It's just the fact that, you know, you took the courage to do it because travel is not easy. Even if you've done it a million times, you know, once you get to an airport or you take a train, you know, you still have to think and you have to plan and you have to budget. Um, It's work, but finding the courage to go find a way to travel and just do it. I feel like that is such a huge part of it. And it really is life changing. So if I could help, you know, create opportunities or make it easier Um, for people, you know, to make those arrangements so they can get to their destination. I would love to help with that in any way I can.
0: That's perfect. That's perfect and amazing. And just what more could I expect from you, Ms. Deleon. So that's being said. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So ladies and gentlemen, that is it for episode 34 of the upcoming. I want to give a, just a big thank you to my friend, Kira DeLeon. Just thank you so much for coming on and sharing your wisdom and everything you've learned with us, Kira.
1: John, thank you so much for having me. It means so much, and again, to be a part of the upcoming community. It is such an honor. Keep doing what you do. You are absolutely amazing. Again, thank you so, so much, John. I miss you, and I really hope I can visit you in California soon.
0: Yes, please do, everybody. Uh, just care daily ladies and gentlemen. So that's it for episode um, 34. Be sure to follow us on. Uh, be sure to follow us on Instagram at the underscore upcoming podcast, and be sure to tune in for uh, the upcoming We Stream on Sundays, and we are on Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, Pandora, and sorry, we don't have Apple Podcasts yet. I'm sorry, we're working on that. Uh, but you can also find us on the-upcoming.simplecast.com. dash That's the website. You can just find all the episodes there if you don't have any of those other streaming services. And, yeah, just be sure to tune in. These are, like, fun times. or are fun interviews. And you're hearing just from more of the most amazing, most passionate people you'll ever meet. So, that being said, be sure to tune in next week. And good night. Thank you for tuning in to The Upcoming. If you like this, be sure to follow us on Spotify, Amazon Music, Pandora, Stitcher, and Google Podcasts. And be sure to follow us on Instagram at the underscore upcoming podcast. Best yet to come. Take care, everybody.